Welcome to the book club that sure is not your mom's romance book club, but it is my mom's. I'm Ellen, and joining me as always is my mom. Hi, mom. How's it going? Ellen, it's going so good. So good. Uh, today we are going to be talking about Love at First by Kate Claiborne, and later we are going to reveal more of our No Yomo Beginner's Guide to Reading Romance in the categories of diverse stories and LGBTQ stories. But first, mom, what have you been reading and watching? What have I been reading and watching? Okay, so the last book we did was The Soulmate Equation. Yes. Then I read Totally Folked. Yeah, you did. <laughs> by Penny Reed. Yeah. Which is the Jackson James book. Yes. And um, and you fell as much in love with Jackson James as I did. I did. And then I, what, I started reading, which is Get Stitches, but I had to stop in the middle so I could get this book read for today. Yeah. So I'm going to finish Witches Get Stitches. I'm about 65% through the book. So that's what I've been reading. I read Beautiful Player by Christina Lauren because Raquel really was talking up that book on, uh, sorry for that. Raquel was really talking up that book at last week's episode. And then there was a follow-up post on the Facebook group urging me to... Wait, Ellen, you've got to read this book. <laughs> urging me to read that book. No one wanted me to read it. I That's don't understand. That's weird. <laughs> um, that book. Okay. You guys did not let me down in the hot, spicy, steamy uh, quotient on that book because it was, it was all of those things and more. He was a... They just got after it a whole <laughs> heck of a lot. Um... And it was also good. Like, it had actual good story as well on top of all the crazy sex that they were having. <laughs> so, there A win-win. <laughs> so, across the board. Um, across the board, good. Uh, that's the only other thing I read this week. You know, I came down a little bit from my <laughs> bender. Six book bender or whatever yeah. we had last week. Um, I actually, well, I had a lot of, had a lot of schoolwork to do this week. Um, but I did finish, so I'm done with my first semester, which is nice. Two more to go. You're third of the way through. Third of the way through. Um, and then I was trying to think of what we've been watching. Basically, we're just caught up on Ted Lasso and Schmigadoon. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if we've watched anything else. We didn't even... Seems like we have, but I have been really busy with school stuff. And then there were two nights this week that I went out on the boat with my dad, and I got up on a wakeboard for the first time. But my body, well, because here's the thing. We went, I went wakeboarding and then I also intertubed. And at one point my dad turned around and he was thinking he was just going to gently glide me across the smooth waters. That is not what happened. <laughs> he turned he too fast. whipped me across the river and my body skipped like a flat stone. Probably across. hit at least four or five times across the river. And I felt every single one of them and... I've been living on a steady diet of Motrin for the past three days. However, it was entertaining to watch. <laughs> That's my mom. <laughs> hey <-o. laughs> Um, Yeah, so I'm very... My body is thrashed. Um, <laughs> but it was fun. But yeah, so I did that two nights this week, so that's another reason why... We haven't watched as much. Yes. I mean, you know, we're, we're due for some true crime. That's what I was thinking. We're summering. I mean, it is summer. Yeah. We're out, we're out summering in California. That's what we are. California <laughs> <Girl>. beach babes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I don't think we quite fit the... <laughs> what? Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> the stereotype of that. Um, okay, today we're going to be talking about Love at First by Kate Claiborne. It is a standalone book that came out earlier this year, I think in February. Uh, we previously featured her book Love Lettering on the show and voted the heroine from that book, Meg, as our heroine of the year last year. Oh, wow. So here is the back cover description for this book. 16 years ago, a teenage Will Sterling saw, or rather heard, the girl of his dreams. Standing beneath an apartment building balcony, he shared a perfect moment with a lovely, warm-voiced stranger. It's a memory that's never faded, though he's put so much of his past behind him. Now, an unexpected inheritance has brought Will back to that same address where he plans to offload his new property and get back to his regular life as an overworked doctor. Instead, he encounters a woman, two balconies above, who's uncannily familiar. No matter how surprised Nora Clark is by her reaction to handsome, curious Will or the whispered pre-dawn conversations they share, she won't let his plans ruin her quirky, close-knit building. Bound by her loyalty to her adored grandmother, she sets out to foil his efforts with a little light sabotage, but beneath the surface of their feud is an undeniable connection. A balcony, a star-crossed couple, a fateful meeting, maybe it's the kind of story that can't work out in the end, or maybe it's the perfect second chance. Mom, what did you think of Love at First? What did I think of Love at First? I'm going to give it a really liked... I think I really liked it. There's a couple things that made me not love it, but I really liked it. I think that's where I am as well. Um, For me, the pacing was a little slow. I think her writing is beautiful. I think the way she describes things is lovely and very kind of whimsical, but I don't know. It's it's very, I don't want to say flowery because sometimes I think that kind of comes off with negative connotations, but in a very beautiful way, she right. describes things. However, sometimes those descriptions got to be a little bogged down, long. And at one, I was telling mom because we were reading at the same time together in the same room, and I was like, for example, <laughs> somebody just knocked on her door, and she's been explaining the knock on the door for three pages now. Yeah. And it's like, homegirl, answer the effing door. <laughs> um, so stuff like that, it sometimes got... And and my only problem, I, I was thinking about it, because, you know, I can... You guys know I tend to like my dialogue-heavy stuff in general anyway. So that's... that's it, It's in part on me. But the other thing, I think when you don't have as much time spent hearing from the characters... Um, and then the way she describes things, it's not, it doesn't even feel like you're getting inside their head as much. So I just, I left, I left not feeling like I had, I knew them all that well, like Nora and Will. Um, I know a lot about their baggage, which we're going to talk about. (laughs) Um, but I don't know. I just, I just, they didn't feel like you know, close friends, which I sometimes get from other books by the end of it, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, I don't know that I got that feeling because I I felt, and probably because I skip less around than you do. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But um, 
But I really I, tried to stick because because I because because this book was so much description, I was like, well, I have to read it because it's like eighty percent description. So I was really trying to read it. Right. I still skip I, sometimes. I get but. It. but yeah, there were times I'm like, wow, are we still in the same day? We're still like, yeah, you'll read a ton and not much time has passed. And yeah. um, and uh, yeah, it it did get a little bogged down with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but with that said, I really enjoyed the story. I enjoyed, um, the journey the, of both of them. Yes. And they both had journeys cause they both kind of bugged me. They both did things that bugged me, but they both had journeys of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I liked all the characters. I liked, yeah. um, where the story went, uh, yeah, they both kind of had effed up families. But... Gosh, yeah. We're going to talk about that, too. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I enjoyed the story, and I liked the... I don't even know what to call it. So, I would, I don't even know if I'd call it a second chance romance, because there was no first chance. I mean, there was yeah. no... They just... They, they kind of dwell... They didn't even really meet. Yeah, they kind of dwell on the, like, what if of, yeah. of, the, of their situation, but it's not quite... It's not, like, the kind of agreed upon definition of second chance romance. Right. But but I, with that said, I did like the fact that he called out, he said, if we had met back then, I probably would have screwed it all up. Yeah. So, you know, I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that I'd call it a second chance romance, but I did like the, you know, kind of friends and then kind of enemies and then friends to lovers, you know. Friends so, with benefits for a little bit, and then... Enemies to friends to lovers kind of thing. So, yeah, I liked the progression of their relationship. Yeah, me too. Um, what... I'm going to phrase it this way. What did you like about our heroine, <laughs> Nora? Do you want me to hold back on the stuff that well, I didn't I, like? I'm gonna, we're going to... Let's let's talk about what we liked about her first. Okay. Well, I really liked Nora. I liked... Um, she had stuff about her that bugged me. She did things that bugged me. Yeah, and I said what you like I about know, her. I <laughs> know, I know. But other than that, I mean, I, I liked... Um, I like that she's kind of this old soul who... Yeah, and loved hanging out with these old people in this apartment <laughs> complex. I, I love how he's like, you can see the influence of her grandmother because she says things like, that's so neat. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she uses old lady words. And, I um, also relate to her as a person who has TMJ and sleeps on her side. I relate to her drooling problem. <laughs> That's maybe a thing that I've encountered a few times. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> she was funny. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought she was a lot of fun. I thought she was, um, and I was there for, you know, her journey of getting her. Yeah. Because I think we go into the book thinking he's the one that's messed up and she's, got it together but then as you get further into the story you realize oh she's got a lot of stuff she yeah. needs to work on too okay so now i'll let you talk about her stuff but so here's the thing this is a book about some pretty emotionally battered people yeah and it was um a little more angsty than i thought it was going to be going yeah. into it so yeah um but there is a lot of growth on both of their sides so her 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 baggage though her parents were not as bad as his they still weren't great no definitely not um and she she had just lost her grandmother, who was, like, the one kind of constant in her life. Um, and even her grandmother, she only got to, like, go see every summer, summer. kind of thing. Um, 
so she's going through the grief process. She's living in this tomb, as is, as is said about her, um, of her grandmother's apartment and also just the building itself. She's hesitant to change anything about the building um, because it's got so much nostalgia, which mom and I can't relate to, but I think I know, well, we can to a certain, I mean, everybody sort of gets that, right? Like, it's hard to see things change, especially, like, when you feel like it's dishonoring somebody that you care about kind of thing. Okay. Mom doesn't I don't have that problem. I'm far too practical. Mom is the least sentimental person you'll ever meet. Uh, Probably. Because I was reading this book thinking, oh my gosh, girl, just throw all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Just get rid of all of that crap. I mean, sure, keep a thing or two to help you remember your grandmother. I get that. But you don't need to keep everything she ever owned. That seems ludicrous to me. Yeah. But... I really liked him through that process of, like, helping her and, like, urging, like, pushing her, leading her, holding her hand through the process. But not pushing her. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to, I was trying to think of a way to explain it that's not, he wasn't ever leading anything. He was just kind of there with her while she was doing it. And I thought that that was really sweet. Um, Yeah, we're going to talk more about kind of the building stuff, so we'll talk about that in a second. What did you think of Will as her hero? What did you like about Will? What did I like about Will? I liked almost everything about Will. I think that he came, I think he came kind of damaged. Yeah. And I mean, and reading his backstory, it's like, okay, I can see, I can see why this would damage you. I mean, the yeah. fact that he was only as damaged as he was, was, <laughs> yeah. you know, incredible. Um, but, you know, what's not to love about a sexy, tall doctor? <laughs> I, I mean, who's handy who's yeah he is <laughs> <laughs> handy and handsy that's the sexiest thing right there <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you I mean need... you can fix stuff oh. give, give me a towel rack baby <laughs> give me a shower curtain that makes my shower bigger <laughs> yeah top dirty to me <laughs> um yeah uh he yes all those things he's sweet um And so now we'll talk about his baggage. (laughs) He screwed up sometimes and stuck his foot in his mouth, but he was coming to the table with some pretty skewed emotional skills. Seriously. And he's proof that the crap that we hear as kids can really mess with, like, our sense of self. Because the fact that he overheard his uncle say that one thing, one time, this man who he had never even met before, and it still stuck with him and completely, like, altered the course of his adulthood. True, but I think that he was coming from a very unstable situation anyway, because his parents were whack jobs. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's, let's talk about the parents and we're probably going to spoil something that doesn't get revealed until the end. So, and I'll say it right now. So if you want to not hear it, skip ahead like a minute. So his parents never said, spoiler, his parents never said, I love you to him. And ever, ever. And mom and I were talking about this and, um, I saw from one of the listener comments that Kate Claiborne was kind of inspired by. Romeo and Juliet for this story, and I, you you get the, like, balcony motifs and things like that, but I think that his parents are supposed to be 
Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. This kind of passionate, I, I will die if I don't have you. They fell in love at 16. and But mom and I are talking about it, and it's like, I don't, and you know, maybe we're naive or whatever, but I don't think that adult people would behave in that way. I could see feeling that way when you're 16. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's like that song that you like. About the driver's, driver's license. license yeah. uh, and she just laments about how I'm never going to, you know, I- I'm so in love with you. I'm like, she's effing 16. Come yeah. on. You're going to love someone else. You're a baby for heaven's sake. But um, like Romeo and Juliet, or like the people in this story, you fall in love at 16 and it's passionate and it's, but you know, as you grow up and have jobs and I mean, his parents were not like just you know, layabouts. I mean, yeah, they had jobs and they, and they had a kid and it seems like you would, you know, cherish this child that your passion and your love had created. And, um, but no, they just kind of like, he was just kind of an entity that was there. They didn't even really kind of acknowledge him much. And I, I had a hard time buying into that, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't seem like an actual thing that would happen. It doesn't seem like a thing that the cynicism of adulthood wouldn't, like, quell to a certain degree by the time that they have a 15-year-old son, you know? And then when her husband gets sick and dies, and it's like, okay, but you've got this great kid. Yeah. Who's really trying hard to help you guys. and to, I mean, because he kind of turned his life around and mm-hmm. tried to get his life in order. Well, he didn't sound like... I mean, he talks about how he was, like, a reckless kind of... But it doesn't sound like he was... No, he didn't sound like a bad kid. No. You know, he sounded like a normal freaking teenage and boy. <laughs> do you think I didn't relate to him not being able to see stuff? Because I was like, uh, honey, I feel you. <laughs> I went through, before I got engaged, before I got married, I never wore my glasses and I couldn't see a freaking thing. She's blind in one eye and her eyesight in her good eye, quote unquote, good eye, <laughs> is not anything to write home it's about. It's not great. And I would literally, like I had a roommate one year who she said... I used to say hi to you in the halls all the time and you would just ignore me and I felt so hurt and I was like, I couldn't see you. I couldn't see anything because I, in college, I just never wore my glasses and, you know, because I felt that no one's, you know, maybe it's all the movies they make about girls who (laughs) take their glasses off to look and I could never wear contacts because I was blind in one eye and they wouldn't let me wear contacts. And, um. I just watched Miss Congeniality with the teenage girls that I work with at church and, um, I was like, that's all it takes. They just had to take off her glasses and then boom, boom. She's beautiful. Beautiful. All of a sudden. <laughs> and, um, so I never wore glasses, but then once I got engaged, I was like, well, he's stuck with me forever. So I'm wearing these babies. <laughs> and she was wearing like eighties, big old glasses. Well, and the and plus I would drive all the time. I was like, gosh, it's yeah, that <laughs> a bad situation. <laughs> anyway, but anyway. I, so I totally related to him not being able to see anything. Um, so his parents were assholes there. I said it and yeah, but it made me want to tell Ellen that I love her. But Ellen, when I tell you, I love you. (laughs) Here's the thing with, um, my mom is, I feel like this is like a character flaw that I'm, that I don't really have any control over. Mom cannot (laughs) say I love you without sounding sarcastic. (laughs) I love you, honey. <laughs> See? It sounds sarcastic. I love you more than I love other people. <laughs> cool. <laughs> anyway, but, I don't think I should be punished for that. I think it's like a, like a learning disorder or something. But seriously, she can't. 
<laughs> Even when I, like, she's hurt or doesn't feel good, I'm like, okay, can I do something for you? <laughs> I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, whenever I try to be, like, loving and kind, I guess it doesn't sound sincere. Whatever. It doesn't. <laughs> Screw all y'all. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, anyway, so... I really felt for him, especially with that reveal at the end that I won't say again in case somebody skipped ahead. Um, but yeah. And so, but, and then also I kind of wish that we had gotten more, I don't know. And maybe this is just like the Hollywood ending girl in, in me, but, um, I kept thinking we were going to get something else from Donnie. Like, Donnie, they were going to find, like, a letter or something. I thought that, too. In fact, when they got the book and the pictures in there, I thought it was going to be, like, Donnie. Like ex- I thought there was going to be something where Donnie thought that if I have him move in here, he's going to fall in love with her. Yeah. Or something. Just yeah. something. You know, I wanted him to be part of this family. You know, or something. You know, I knew he didn't have any family, so I thought if he lived here for a while. I thought maybe the attorney would have something that he would give him that would said, you know, I knew if you lived there for 12 months, you'd, you'd become part of this family, and then you yeah. wouldn't be alone. Yeah, something like that. I kind of... And maybe it's just implied, but I kept thinking... And also, not only for his sake, because I think kind of for him it matters less than almost for Nora, who had this kind of rosy perception of Donnie that kind of got shattered by his treatment of Will and, and Will's mom. And so kind of more for Nora's sake, I wanted them to find out, you know, his side of the story a little bit more. Yeah. And we didn't ever get that. But, you know, I suppose that's kind of more real life anyway. But, um, okay, let's give the side characters their due. I really like the side characters. I like the side characters, too. Um, I think my favorite, the neighbors are fun, but I love Gerald and Sally. I loved Gerald. Yes, I did too. I that whole thing with him and his boss and <laughs> and that and he's like Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. He's telling him that I'm. I, uh, yeah, I slept at her house last night. <laughs> We're together. We're sl- we slept together. <laughs> well, and I loved kind of the little side glimpse that we got of Gerald trying to reconcile with Sally and um, kind of having him there. You know, I love that it kind of starts off with. Will being like, geez, Gerald really does not have his shit together. He's like, he really needs to figure out how to work, make this work with Sally, but he's not doing well. To at the end of it, he's like, geez, I really have to look to Gerald as an example <laughs> for like what to do. To he did this, he's doing better than me. Because I really liked kind of the message with Gerald that it's like it takes some work, and you know, yeah. I have you have to overlook some stuff. And you have to let some things slide, but you also need to put the effort in to show that you love them. And well, um, and I know. really liked Gerald's message of just because that's the way you were loved, or because the people who raised you loved that way, that doesn't mean that's the way you're going to love someone too. Yeah. You know, you I have that quote. Well, I have, I'll oh, read it later. No, you're fine. Hey, here, I'll, <laughs> I'll read it now. Um, he says. You don't have to love people the way you learned to love at first. And I liked that because, you know, you go the whole book thinking love at first. It's like yeah, love at first Yeah, maybe when sight. you have kids, when you tell them that you love them, you're going to sound like you're not sincere. Yeah. Because that's the way you were raised. Yeah. By insincere, unloving parents. No, I'm more emotionally intelligent than you are. Um, <laughs> Whatever. But I like that, that this whole message that, especially for these two characters who... The way they were loved at first was not yeah. ideal. And so 
they needed to kind of find their own way to love and learn from the mistakes of how they were loved at first. And um, the other one I loved was Marion. I really liked Marion. Yes. And I love. I'm going to read Marion's quote later. I love how they keep talking about her teacher voice and all of her yeah. teacher stuff because I was like, I all the time I'm like, I have to pull out my teacher voice, you know, when I. Yeah. And I've and, already had to perfect <laughs> the teacher voice. Well, and there have been times when I've. You know, I've just found myself disciplining other people's kids in stores and things yeah. <laughs> because it's like these parents are letting these kids run amok and I can just walk over and give them a look. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll... Literally, it's a thing that, I I mean, I just finished coursework and they talk about teachers have to ma- master the glance. Yeah. Like the... Is I, that what you're supposed to be doing right yeah, now, Glenn? I can see you and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I also really loved Dee. I thought she was, like, a great romance friend. Yes, Um, she was a good romance friend. And I really... Because what I liked about all these people, especially those that we just mentioned, Gerald, Mary, and Dee, Will and Nora needed some hand-holding. Well, and they needed... (laughs) They uh, needed come-to-Jesus sessions. Well, and they didn't have parents to help them. I mean, they couldn't rely on the people who you would normally rely on to help you through a situation like that. So, yeah, they had good friends and good, you know. And I think that's kind of what the story of the book is, is, you know, your family. Your family isn't always, you know, the people who gave birth to you. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's talk about the initial rent drama and the apartment drama. First of all, I love that a thing became his unit and talking about (laughs) his His unit. unit. (laughs) She's like, can we stop calling it your unit? Um, well, the fact that, come on, the fact that he didn't pick up on it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so this is, where, more than anything, this is where Nora, Nora kind of, like, annoyed me. Because it's like, it's his freaking apartment. Yeah. He does not have the emotional connection to it that you do. I do, I will give Nora, though, that when she finds out his, his kind of, his only connection to the apartment, she's like, okay, I get why this is not a this, good it, you This does not mean to you what it means to me. Yeah. And that, in, if anything, it means the exact opposite to you. Well, and it almost seems like, you know, hey, maybe this is a way for you guys to make more friends. I mean. Yeah. I know. Because I was thinking, I'm like, he should, you know, she kept trying to say, like, uh, throw things, you know, like poetry nights and projections. I'm like, Hey, he can market with this. Yes. You know, like that that could be his shtick is that, you know, come live with a these quirky yeah, neighbors who do poetry readings and watch big projected projected baseball and things like that. People would be into that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and yeah, I I thought I thought it was cute how uh how they were. But um but yeah, she was annoying at first. I mean, props to her for not Hiding a fish in his, yeah. in his apartment. I I was thinking about it when I was reading. I'm like, it seems like she could have some more fun with this as a premise, too, that this, you know, kind of War of the Roses type thing. But she was already pissing me off. And so I feel like if she, like, kind of became childish with it, I maybe would have been yeah, more annoyed with it. So I, I, see, I see where it was going there. Um... Yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. Um, Props to them having a sickbed scene, though, so. Yeah. yeah. We always love a good sickbed scene. We do scene. always love a sickbed scene. 
Okay, let's talk about the conflict. Um, So their conflict actually takes a good chunk of the book, and it's actually kind of two-pronged. I was going to say, it's kind of, like... Because, I mean, there's... Spreads out. They kind of get into an argument before she leaves for San Diego, and then that lasts for the week that she's gone. And then when she gets back, there's more confusion that's layered on top of that. And so it's kind of... It's initially his thing, and then it becomes her thing. Well, that's why I was going to say, I said, I was thinking, initially, he was kind of the one who was being kind of a jackass, and then afterwards, she, I didn't, I didn't even get that one. Like, I literally was reading the second part after when they were in the hospital in, in Jonah's room, mm-hmm. and she was all pissed off, and I was like, wait, did I miss something? I don't even understand why she's mad at him. Well, I think what it is... From her, the thing, so the thing that she gets mad about is Jonah, who's kind of the elderly man in the apartment building, he lives on the third floor, and he injures himself. Breaks his leg. Breaks his leg, and is going to have to go through, you know, rehab and things, physical therapy and all this stuff to, to get back in working order. And, um... With the doctor, Will brings up the fact that Jonah lives on a third story with no elevator, stairs, and landings, and no way to have any sort of mobility chair or anything like that. Yeah. And so, um, and Nora feels betrayed that he says that in front of the doctor. And is And also he's kind of doctor-splaining things, and I think (laughs) that kind of irritates her, too. Yeah. Um... I think what it comes down to is what Gerald says to him later, where he basically says, talk, kind of referencing the love at first thing, she was loved by someone who values loyalty above all else. And in that moment, she felt that he was being disloyal to their the, uh, sacred nature of their apartment building and how nothing can change in this apartment building. Well, and maybe it's the super practical part of me, but I was thinking, yeah, the doctor needs to know that he lives on a third floor apartment because then maybe they'll work harder to, well, to and even, help him out some. Even Jonah was like, it's okay. I Yeah, I live on a third floor. <laughs> you well, know? but immediately, my immediate thought was... Switch apartments. Switch apartments with him. I I mean, that that, that didn't even... I knew that that was going to be the thing. And I knew that they were both going to end up on the third floor. And And, and, I mean, that, it was like a no-brainer. So I was, but literally when she got mad, I was like, I don't even understand. Did I miss a part of the conversation about, I don't get what she's mad about. Well, the thing, the thing that I will say for them is they're very, they are at least both fairly self-aware damaged people. Yeah. Because as... So in the initial argument that they get into where kind of Will has a little bit of a freak out and kind of pushes her away and then she leaves, basically as soon as he does it, he's like, I handled that. I screwed up really bad. Yeah. And automatically he knows that he, even when it's happening, he knows that he's screwing up. And I actually really liked that because I think that that is very true to how we function as humans where things are coming out of our mouths and as soon you like want to and they're not coming out the way you wanted them to or sounding the way you wanted them to. and it's and i think for him he was saying what what he was thinking in his brain but it's not necessarily something that he would frame that way if he had a second to like sit think and then explain to her. Yeah. Right? And I and so I really liked that because I thought that that was very authentic. And then I think the same thing happens to her is 
when she has that freak out at the hospital, she says it, and then as soon as it's out of her mouth, and as soon as he's walking away, she's like, shit, (laughs) you know? And I did not handle that well. Yeah, and she knows that she was being irrational, and she knows that that wasn't fair to him and all these things. And so I really, you know, we've said this on the show before, but I like... If they're going to be frustrating and do things that piss me off, I at least like when the author or the characters, in this case, you know, even the characters, show a self-awareness and knowing that they screwed up. I just don't like when they screw up and they're like, everything's fine. This is normal behavior. Yeah, I'll forgive you. <laughs> but, um, and not only that, but they both went through the process of, like, Realizing they'd screwed up and then trying to figure out how to fix what they screwed up. Yeah. And then they both went through the process, you know, so. And they talk it out with And they're friends. called out on it. Yeah. They're, everything that we've discussed about their personalities, they're called out on. And they're like, okay, we're, as long as we're together, we can figure these things out. Yeah. And, and I'm fine with a story being ending like that. Yeah. And, you know, I think they do get a, I think they get a happily ever after with the epilogue and stuff like that. But I would say that if it ended without the epilogue, they would definitely just be happy for now because right. it's like, yeah, they've got some stuff to work out. And yeah. I hope that both of them go to therapy, you know, but, um, but yeah, I, I, so I like the self-awareness that they had about them kind of screwing things up. Um, I wrote down this line that Marion says, to Nora that I also liked. So Gerald has his come to Jesus with Will, and then Marion kind of has hers with Nora. Um, and because Nora's talking about how, you know, it's it's different with Will, and it's like it's a love that hasn't, like, come easily and things like that. And she says, but Nora, what are you doing looking for a sure thing? Not every love you has have is the kind like you had with your Nona. Or, like, the kind you have with me or Emily or Jonah or anyone in this whole place with the exception of that new man downstairs, I guess. Love can't always be a sure thing from the start. And I think she needed to hear that because she's just used to being... And I think that's why she kind of isolates herself in this apartment full of elderly people is because it's all people who she knows love her. And, and she hasn't... taken care of her since she was a little girl. Yeah, and she hasn't had that even from her own parents where she's sure that they love her. You know, and so I liked that as a description for her. Um, and then it has to be said that the grand gesture is pretty friggin' sweet. It is pretty sweet. Um, I wrote down this line that he says to her with that. If you don't want to be spoiled, fast forward a little bit. But he says, Nora Clark, I loved you from the first time I didn't, I didn't see you. But I don't think that matters half as much as the fact that I love you now. I don't think it matters as much as the way I know I'm going to love you forever. And I'm like... Damn. That is a good while line. He's, while he's throwing tomatoes at her. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought that that whole thing was pretty sweet. And I also just love that he's doing it. And she's like, but everybody can hear you. And he's like, it's fine. I want them to hear. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it was very, it was very Romeo and Juliet sonity. And, uh, it was cute. It was cute. Okay. Let's talk about sex, baby. Yeah, um, that was Pretty mom-friendly. Yeah, they had a lot of it, but it was all pretty glossed over except for that first time. And even the first time was pretty, you know, nebulous as to where body parts were and, yeah, and things no, like that. Yeah, it was... It's, it's um, especially having just read Soulmate Equation. <laughs> no, but, like, it, yeah. 
it's very similar to like how soulmate equation handles it, where it kind of describes more of like the emotions and then it glosses over the fact that they're still having a lot of sex. Like it's yeah. very similar to, I think that's kind of par for the course with these books that are sort of also marketed as women's fiction. It's kind of a trend that I see with those books is the sex is pretty nebulously explained. Yeah. I, would I mean, say. it's obvious that they're having it and it, and it usually starts out with a little more description and then it just kind of yeah. simmers filters out. away yeah um what was your swooniest moment <sighs> i was thinking i have about a this. couple um there are actually several i do love a good fix things for me moment um so i liked all the stuff he was doing around her house and helping her fix things up and, and like i said i like the way he handled that yeah like, and he didn't push her but just let's kind just of... start with the bathroom yeah and just the description, gosh, the description of her living in that apartment just frustrated me to no Especially end. Especially the, like, office situation. Yes, and, and, like... and you could just tell she had big, old, ugly bedroom furniture in there. It's like, just get rid Listen, of it. I've been in some Italian Nona uh, apartments, <laughs> and I don't want to generalize, but yes. But, and I was they just like, like some big gaudy furniture. Well, and so. I'm sure there were just knickknacks everywhere. Oh gosh, it's just like my nightmare of a house, I'm yeah. sure. But um, anyway, uh, so I did like him fixing all the things. Um, so let me say mine. Okay. Um, before she freaks out at the hospital, I love him helping her at oh, the hospital. That was sweet. And I think my, my favorite moment in that was um, when she grabs his hand and she's going to like, they're going to walk in there with all the neighbors and um, she, she wants to like be holding his hand so that they know. And she's got her roll on bag and he's like, well, you have to let me take that. You know, Marion and Emily will never forgive me. <laughs> if you're carrying your own suitcase. Yeah. And I just thought that that was really sweet. Really sweet. The grand gesture also is, but yeah. Um, yeah. I loved all that. Uh, the hospital stuff, just him being there with her and her drooling on his leg and, and him at, uh, making sure all of her, you know, the people in the apartment were mm -hmm. taken care of and, you know, and everybody turned to him. As soon as it happened, everyone turns to him because yeah. he's a doctor. And, um, you know, and, and Marion even said, I trust him. I don't trust doctors. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I like that she's putting him in the trusting people category and not just the doctor category. <laughs> but, um, no, there was a lot of swoony things that he did for her when yeah. he took her on the date, when he took her to the beach. Those are all cute moments. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay, let's hear from some of you on what you guys thought of this book. So Ava says, Kate Claiborne's writing is lyrical. I have read many of her books, and I think she just gets better with each book. This book was a heavy tone of sadness throughout, but I still enjoyed Will and Nora's stories. Will taking care of Nora was my swooniest moment. I heard Kate Claiborne on a podcast talk about how this book is an homage to Romeo and Juliet. I didn't catch the references while listening to the audiobook, but when she pointed them out, I did remember them. The side characters were a hoot and kept me entertained. Often side characters get in the way of enjoying the romance, but all the neighbors were lovely. Also, Will's friendship with his boss was a hoot. I enjoyed this more than love lettering, which I know is a fan favorite. Sorry. Overall, this is a strong like. I gave it four stars. Um... So Ava was the one that mentioned the Romeo and Juliet yeah. thing. And yeah, I think that that's where, I mean, obviously the balcony stuff, but I also think that the parents, his parents are kind of supposed to be like, if Romeo and Juliet lived and had a child, they would be maybe shitty parents. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind I of, can, I can see that. It's kind of what I take away from that. Um, 
Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I would disagree. I think I like love lettering better than this one, but, um, uh, but I did, I really, I did really like this one. Yeah. Um, Maida said, Kate Claiborne's writing is beautiful and super romantic. I'm also finding that I enjoy st- stories with multi-generational characters. This one, the switch, soulmate equation, Overall, really liked this one. Yeah, that's a good point. There's been a lot of kind of books lately that um, have kind of multi-generational friendships and things yeah. like that that are kind of sweet. Um, I think Riley Thorne, too, has got right. a lot of that going on. I think it's just kind of fun to have old coo- people. kooky old people who have no filter around people who are trying to fall in love. Old people can be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Amy says, I really liked this book. Kate Claiborne writes the best heroes. If you haven't read her Chance of a Lifetime series, I highly recommend it. Um, she does write pretty good heroes because we really liked, um, the guy in the last one. I don't remember his name, but, um, I think that reveal in Love Lettering was what got me on that one. Well, and the letter he wrote at the end was... Yeah, that was good too. Um, Catherine says, I feel like this book and love lettering had a similar dreamlike quality to them, which was cool. Her Chance of a Lifetime books about three best friends who win the lottery, which are great reads, as Amy said, don't have the same atmospheric tone, which means it was an intentional choice for these books, which makes it even cooler. Um, yeah, that's a good way of, ex- of describing her writing. It's, it's very dreamlike and yeah, kind of flowy and um, kind of magical in you know, certain ways that she describes things. Elizabeth said, I've read every Kate Claiborne book, and this one has jumped right to the top of the list. Beginner's luck, a second close. A close second, sorry. I can read. Um, I loved everything about this book. Grumpy hero, enemies to lovers, found family, pranks, and a Romeo and Juliet vibe. Miss Claiborne really knocked it out of the park with this one. I I really hope you both loved it as much as I did, because this was on my list of favorite books of 2021. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's up up there. It's hard for me to know. I've read so many I know. GD books. Um, I don't know if I would describe him as a grumpy hero. I don't know He's... that I would either. I, I mean, he was grumpy because everyone was being horrible to him. <laughs> yeah, kind of a pain in the pain in the rear for him. Um, but he he but doesn't he kind of. He was actually pretty charming with them, even when they were being yeah. horrible. So and that was his whole thing was that he was. Well, I'm just gonna charm the pants off yeah. everybody. <laughs> Um, Tiernan says, this wasn't love for me. This, I will say, this is a fairly, somewhat polarizing book, because there's a lot of kind of back and forth on the comments. Um, Tiernan says, this wasn't love for me. I'm sure I'm in the minority. I had a hard time getting into the book, and the ending dragged for me. Love lettering was okay. I just don't think her writing is for me. And I can definitely see that with her writing. It's, um, yeah, I could, I could see it somewhat, being somewhat polarizing her style, I would say. Jess said, I read this book back at the beginning of March, which feels like two years ago, right? So I do not recall all of the details, but I really loved the book and rated it 4.5 stars. The book was melancholy, but beautiful and lyrical with a great cast of characters. This analogy won't be worded up in the best way because my brain is fried from a long day at work, but I think between this book and Love Lettering, which I really enjoyed, Kate Claiborne's books are like the Ted Lasso of romance books. Heartbreaking in some ways, but ultimately heartwarming and life-affirming and like being wrapped up in a big hug. That's a, yeah. Yeah. And we we appreciate a good Ted Lasso uh, analogy around here. A good Ted Lasso analogy. Gosh, if you guys are not watching Ted Lasso, Roy Kent, this is my tangent of the episode. One of many, I'm sure. But um, Roy Kent is like a romance reader's dream. 
He's he is a grumpy hero. He is a grumpy hero. The thing about Roy Kent is he's just he says the most amazing, wonderful things, but in such a vulgar way <laughs> that it's almost cloaked. But you still get the you get the aww, <laughs> even though he just dropped twenty f bombs. And you guys, this thing that he just did in the second episode was pretty hot. It was pretty hot. It was, <laughs> it was um, you know, pretty dishy. I love that. Yeah, go watch Ted Lasso yeah. if you haven't. If you listen, or what you should do is wait until the second season is all done and then get that free week trial and then just watch, like, binge watch the first and second season because it is so good. And yeah, I know, I know for a fact, if you're a romance reader, you will love Roy Kent and Ted Lasso, but Roy Kent is more like what we're used to in the romance world. He's, he is something. Yeah, he is a dish and a half. Um... Okay, Cassie, th- there's our Ted Lasso <laughs> tangent for the day. <laughs> Cassie says, this book was okay for me. I felt similarly wor- lukewarm about love lettering, and I'm aware I'm in the mi- minority. The characters seem flat, and the storyline really dragged for me. I think this author just may not be for me. And I think, so she says the characters seem flat, and I think that's kind of what I was alluding to, is I think because there's so much time with her very beautiful writing that sometimes... Um, we don't get to, like, be with the characters and, like, hear from them as much as I would have liked, Well, personally. sometimes it would take you out of the story. It, yeah. It's, like, overpowering the actual story of what's going on with the people in yeah. the book. Ashley says, I was disappointed by this one. I just have a hard time with the, I love this place, therefore everyone must love this place and keep things exactly the same trope. Yeah, I didn't think about it, but that is very much a trope. Yeah. It's basically the trope of every Hallmark movie ever. Um, <laughs> especially the Christmas ones, because it's like, I love this Christmas well, town. That was the thing that frustrated me the most in this book was the, okay, but it's okay to change wallpaper, and it's okay to get rid of ugly light fixtures. I do love when she's like, wait, Marion doesn't like the wallpaper? And she, like, <laughs> couldn't get past that. It's like, yeah, it's orange velvet wallpaper. Of course not everybody's going to love that. Um, my mom may have had some velvet wallpaper in her house when I was a kid growing up. I don't that think doesn't it, surprise me. I don't think it was around when you, after you were born, but I do remember having, it was like a paisley print wallpaper in the entryway that had fuzz, that was fuzzy. So. Yeah, I could see there that. There was that. <laughs> um, Ashley continued after saying that about the trope. Because of that, I found Nora to be annoying instead of quirky. I really love Clay- Claiborne's, Kate Claiborne's, she's got a hard name to say 10 times fast, uh, first three books, but I've been so bored with love lettering and this, I'm not sure if I'll continue to read her. Yeah, I mean, if it's not your jam, it's kind of gonna not be your jam, if I it's guess. it's not your jam, it's not your jam. Yep. Who are we to judge? Yep. Uh, Jennifer says, I'm going to need this to be turned into a movie so I can watch Will Sterling in a flower crown reading a Shakespearean sonnet. Swoon. Yeah, that, yeah. that is a good visual. I loved this novel. Her writing is gorgeous. And the themes of love and how we interact with the past were so poignant. Uh, quote, you don't have to love people the way you learned to love at first. Was anyone else blown away by that wisdom? Uh, I will. Yeah, obviously I like that quote. But I really liked that. I kind of went the whole book thinking love at first was referring to, like, their love at first sight. And then it's actually more to do with, like, how they were loved at first, you know? Um, 
Jennifer continues, the backstory to Will's emotional abuse slash neglect from his parents was so sad, especially the revelation on page 294 in my Kindle, two pages or so before the epilogue. Don't want to spoil it too much if others haven't finished it yet, but I'll leave it up to Ellen and mom to decide whether to get into that detail. (laughs) And we did. And we did. So, but we, I gave a spoiler warning. Um... She says, yet there were so many comic moments in the novel, too. Gerald and Sally, pure gems. They were my favorite side characters. Love the glimpse of second chance romance there. Yeah. I really liked seeing kind of their progression throughout the book, too. I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Mar says, it's a good book. I start to like the book when they know about each other's past, so they lose the childish, sometimes funny, acts. Uh, I like the relationship between Will and his boss and love how it's represented the grief that... Uh, Nora has about her grandma, but I really don't like Nora's work plot. Yeah, that's a good point. The work plot kind of doesn't go anywhere. I think it's supposed to, like, kind of add to the fact that everything is changing for her, and that's kind of what throws her off there towards the end. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of it that, I mean, it could have been cut significantly down. Yeah. In terms of... How much time was spent on it. Well, and I, but I get that I was glad we didn't have to go through another a-hole boss. I mean, you know, trope. Uh, he wasn't great, but he wasn't horrible. Yeah. And I get. Well, and that's also pretty true to, especially when she's got some, and, and I think, I think it's point is she's got this hang up with loyalty. And so she feels like she needs to be loyal to this boss who she's been with from, you know, the beginning of the company and from the beginning of her career. And he put up with her moving to Chicago. And- yeah. But that's part of her growth is she she realizes and learns that there are times... Be, I don't have to be loyal to every little thing that happens in my life. Yeah. And so while I, I think some of it could have been cut down... Um, I, I do think it adds to her growth, I guess. Yes, yeah. and say. just her her worry about all, all the changes in her life, too. Yeah. Carla says, I'm sorry, but this was a DNF for me. I'm going to have my sister, Raquel, who was on last week, um, give me a summary instead. I read halfway through and didn't feel like it was going anywhere. Nora was a little annoying for me, and I didn't buy the chemistry between them. Um, I can see that. I, I get it. Um, Raquel, her sister, (laughs) followed up and said, this was a cute book, but solely based on this book and love lettering, which I only read until a couple months ago, I'm starting to think I'm not made for Kate Claiborne's writing. Most of the book was very slow paced for me. I really didn't like Nora at the beginning, so stubborn about Will's rightful decision to rent the apartment, and the conflict didn't feel conflicty or relevant enough. I just finished the book, and here I am wondering what the conflict was again. (laughs) Especially for her part. It's like, what are we mad about? Um, If anything, Will saves the book for me. Nice, swoony hero. Gerald was also a great side character, and his advice to Will outside the hospital pretty much puts things in perspective in order to solve the second conflict, just as much as Marion's advice to Nora. Yeah. In all fairness, I heard Kate Claiborne talk about the Shakespeare Romeo and Julia influence in another podcast, but aside from the obvious balcony scenes, I kept waiting for more direct references and think this might have messed with my expectations. Anyways, these were, these are the only Kate Claiborne books I've read, and I feel they followed the same formula. Sorry if this gets lost in translations. My thoughts are all scrambled after a long work week. I picture both stories like flat lines that finally spike at about 90% of the book. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's a good point. It's until then that you get all the feels. I know some really disliked the twist at the end of Love Lettering, but for me, that was the most interesting thing in the dang book. In my opinion, both books have these potentially annoying, unlikable, immature to some readers like me, heroines, and grumpy, stuck-up, emotionally unavailable heroes, silently suffering and going through stuff, of course. And once the heroes sort out their feelings, they do these grand gestures, the coded letter, the flying tomatoes, and it's the ending that saved both books for me. I'm just not sure I like that formula or reading it back-to-back on books from the same author. Um, TLDR, cute book, glad so many others in the group like Kate Claiborne's writing, but not sure I'll give her books another try. It's me, not her. (laughs) Um, yeah. I get where she's not everybody's cup of tea. And, uh, you having just read Love Lettering, that's interesting to kind of compare the two, because I wouldn't be able to do that, because I don't remember that much about it. Well, yeah, we read a long time ago. Um... And, yeah, like I said, I think the Shakespeare is more in his backstory. I think that's where the Romeo and Juliet more comes from than even just the balcony scenes. Right. Um, I could be wrong. I won't speak for her, but that was kind of my interpretation of it. Hey, it, uh, was that the last one? No, there's one more. Okay. But I do want to give a shout out because I completely forgot this because I was thinking this might be one of my swoony moments or one of my swoonier moments. When they went to the veterinarian clinic oh and then he was getting jealous because the yeah that was, was good kind of hitting on her and yeah we do like got that. mad because he looked down her shirt and yeah <laughs> we like we like a good jealousy a moment. good jealousy but i completely forgot about that till just now yeah for some random reason okay and then last but not least we have jen she said i loved love at first it felt magical to me it's such a quiet slow burn yet filled with so much emotion and sweetness it covered themes of love grief family and belonging there were so many fun moments flying tomatoes sabotage poetry reading kittens and will taking care of nora when she's sick sigh yeah we all love that after each incident, Nora and Will reveal a little more about themselves uh, to each other. The side characters were great. All the residents of the apartment were fun. I especially liked Dr. Abraham. His relationship with, was fun, was, with Will was fun to watch as they befriended each other. This book felt like a big hug from Kate Claiborne, and the first time I read it, I was in the midst of lockdown, so this was definitely a COVID comfort read for me. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a thing that yeah. has been the case lately. Um... Final thoughts, Mom? Um, I really liked it. I get where it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I um, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, there were a couple of things that kind of made it not a love, but mm-hmm. but I had I enjoyed it. Yeah. I Same. I, I really liked it. I like a lot of the stuff that she's doing here, but I can also see where the stuff that she's doing is not for everybody. Yeah. Um, and I also get some of the slow pacing and bogged down issues that some people had, because I also experienced some of that as well. Um, okay, so those are our thoughts and some of your thoughts on Love at First by Kate Claiborne. We would love to hear more from you on our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Goodreads group, our Twitter and Instagram, which are, uh, both at Not Your Mom's Rom. Or you can email us at notyourmomsromancebookclub at gmail.com. So if you want to read along with us and email us with your thoughts, or if you would like to test a book for us to read, we'd love to hear from you. On August 9th, we'll be discussing Twice Shy by Sarah Hogel. For now, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be revealing a couple more categories in the No Yomo Beginner's Guide to Reading Romance. So stick with us. It's time for a break! It's time for a break! The break is when we do the news and mail. 
Okay, there's a little Ethel for you. You're welcome. Um, so this break segment is going to exclusively be news, and the news is that August is upon us, which means that this is the last month of our summer reading list. I can't believe it. I say that every time we get to this point, but it seriously goes by so fast. Um, so this week I'm going to be posting the poll for the fall reading list. Um, so if you want to add books to that to be voted upon, if you want to just have your opinion heard in creating the fall list, make sure and head over there. And if you are somebody who is not on the Facebook group, um, you know, email me, tweet me, whatever, and I'll get them on the poll at least. Um, so that is going go to join the first Facebook group. But not everybody <laughs> likes me on Facebook, which I totally get. I get, I get, because the only thing I do on Facebook is our yeah. Um, so that is going to be going on, and then also next week I will be posting the uh, the contest to be featured on an episode. So just be aware that those things are coming up. Be thinking about what books you'd like to see on the fall reading list. There's a lot of, like, awesome books that came out this summer and more that are coming out in the fall. So, you know, check out what's come out, what's coming out, and see what you want to have added to the list. And, you know, we're excited to read another season of books with y'all. can't believe we're already, like, talking about fall. That's insane to me. That is insane. It's weird. Anyway, so that's it for this break segment, and uh, I'll see you next time. Yeah, you will. Welcome back. So today we are going to continue with our No Yomo Beginner's Guide to Reading Romance. As a reminder, a while ago, I was prompting the Facebook group with scenarios where a non-romance reader comes seeking a specific type of romance, such as your mom's friend, asking for a mystery, or your church friend asking for a uh, book with low heat. So we're going to name some of our picks and then read some of the groups as well. So our first scenario was this. You're at the library perusing their typically lacking, depending on your local library, romance section, when a woman peeks over your shoulder from the neighboring section. You read romance? I'm interested in trying one, but it seems like they're all about snow white women falling in love with milk toast men. I've seen Hallmark movies. Are there any that tell more diverse love stories? So, that was the prompt. Um, the ones that, like, come to mind for me, and then I... And these are also some that you guys mentioned, but um, Helen Huang books, um, which she has another one coming out soon. I think it's this month. Um, and I'm excited to read that. Uh, Kennedy Ryan, who just, like, weaves gold. Like, she does. She like, is, like, a phenomenal author. Um, she has a new book out that I have on our Kindle and I really want to read. Um, Beverly Jenkins writes. Beverly Jenkins. Um, I thought of Aisha at Last by Usman Jalal yeah. Adin. We really liked that one. Um, there, I mean, I know that we can do more in Romancelandia, um, but I do think we, we're doing pretty well in getting, you know, I, I realize there's still a gap, but, um, I really am proud of how this community really tries to, like, shine a light on some of the more diverse stories. So, 
Um, Savannah said The Brown Sisters Trilogy by Talia Hibbert. Yes. Which is one that we also really like. Um, Maida said, I liked You Had Me at Ola by Alexis Daria, and I'm reading the arc of her new one now. Also liked The Marriage Game by Sarah Desai, The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang, and Ties That Tether by Jane Igaro. Um, I haven't read that one. I've seen it, but I haven't. I would definitely say that the historicals are not as, you know, unless Beverly Jenkins, she does, she writes uh, historicals that are more diverse, but most of the historicals are not very diverse. That's, that's true. That is a place where we could make up some, uh, some difference there. Well, and I think, you know, if we went into different, um, areas of history, that would help too, instead of just Regency romances. Regency and, and England. Not every, you know, unless you're at Bridgerton, not everybody has to marry a Duke. Yeah. And Dukes were not really of color like they were in Bridgerton. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sarah says, The Boyfriend Project by Farah Roshan. I never know how to say her name. Uh, Modern Love Series by Alicia Rye. And The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan. Um, Kate says Helen Huang's books, Seven Days in June by Tia Williams, and Alexa Martin's books, which we read, uh, Intercepted, and we really liked, is that what it was? Or Blitzed? Well, we read several in that series. Yeah. I know I read more than... We only, yeah, I, I know I read more than... There was Fumbled, there was Intercepted. I can't can't remember which one was first. (laughs) I can't either. Um, but they're making a series of that. Yeah. Isn't Stars making a series of that? I think so. I know that they have the rights to it. Yeah. So hopefully that that gets made someday. And if I remember correctly, they could be very racy. Yes, they could. And, you know, stars will go there. So <laughs> Go stars. Uh, Kate says, oh, no, I already read Kate. Emily says, Talia Hibbert, Helen Huang, Kennedy Ryan. Yep, those are all. You guys, I, I can't stress enough. Kennedy Ryan, her books get heavy. Speaking of, you know how some of you felt about Kate Claiborne. Her books get heavy, but her books are so damn good. They she are good. She's so good. And she's also like the loveliest person you could ever she's meet. She's like the nicest person. Like when we met her, you would think that we had been best friends for years. I know. She was and she's and, and she made everybody, because we were waiting in line to yeah. meet her, and everybody that she met, she made feel like, like yeah. that. She's just a delightful person. Yeah, she really is. Karen says, aside from what has already been mentioned, Talia Herbert, Helen Huang, I would add Alyssa Cole, who, yeah, I yes, agree. Yes. And she's one that's done some historicals and some contemporaries. Yes. So. Um, she said, also Olivia Dade's Spoiler Alert, or One to Watch by Kate Stamen London for plus-size heroines, which is a good point to make that diversity can be more than skin color. We also need diversity in body types and things like that. And I will say we need some diversity in body types for the men as well. Who, I was just talking, who were we just talking to who was talking, who was asking if there were, like, ever, oh, there's, there's, like, a crocheting group that we get together with, and somebody, they were asking if there was ever, like, non-ripped dudes, and I'm like, (laughs) not as many as there should be. Um, Well, we've brought it up, I brought it up before on this podcast, but, you know, it would be nice if they weren't all. So, we're excited for Penny Reid's Dad Bod series, which is not called that anymore, but. Um, but yeah, I would say even in this book that we just read, at least he wasn't described. uh, I mean, he obviously was. Yeah. Jonah called him beanpole. Yeah. I mean, so he was tall and I think he was, you know, 
toned. Toned, but I don't know that he was super ripped or anything. Jacked. Yeah. Um, And Karen says, boyfriend material for male male. Would love to see some Jewish representation personally if anyone has any recs. And people proceeded to give her some, including... Rosie. The imitation experiment, which is coming up um, in a couple weeks. So we're excited to dive into that one for many reasons, but, um, you know, partly for the Jewish representation. Uh, Jennifer says all of Jasmine Guillory's books, which we need to give her a try again at some point. <laughs> um, Denise Williams, How to Fail at Flirting. Her second novel is coming out in November, The Fastest Way to Fall. We liked that one. Okay. How to Fail at Flirting? Yeah, we liked that one okay, didn't we? I think we liked it okay. Yeah. I don't think it was a love. Yeah. Um, and then she said Mia Sosa, which I haven't read any Mia Sosa, so we've met Mia Sosa, but yeah. um, I haven't read any of her. Natalie says, also for Paranormal, Nalini Singh's Psy Changeling series has all kinds of different hero- heroes and heroines, who I believe morph into different animals as well. <laughs> so it's just all across the board. <laughs> They're very diverse. <laughs> Super uh, diverse. <laughs> Catherine says, I would start her with Rebecca Weatherspoon's Cowboy series, and which I've heard is fun, and then show her the website, uh, WOC in Romance a database, which is women of color in romance. Um, Uzma Jalaladeen, Farah Hernon, uh, Zoe, Zoe Castile are all authors that are featured there. Um, Jessica says, all of Beverly Jenkins, mm-hmm. which we've mentioned. Um, Lori says, Adriana Herrera is fantastic. I've really liked, uh, or truly loved everything I've read by her, but a new romance reader might need to be warned. She's pretty spicy. (laughs) Um, Jen says, Snolly Dev, Alicia Rye, Kennedy Ryan, Tali Hibbert, and Jasmine Guillory. And then finally, Ruthie says, not necessarily diverse authors, but diverse characters. Dr. Strangebeard, Kissing Tolstoy, Grin and Bearded by Penny Reed. Yes, those all have... Diverse characters in them. She says, also Amy Harmon's The Songbook of Benny Lament and The Law of David. This one should go on the tearjerker list, adding it now. Yeah, um, seriously. I haven't read... You read that one, didn't you? I read you? both of those. I, you haven't read The Songbook of Benny Lament. You no. Read no. The, both of the Law of David I, series. Yeah. The, and um, something of Moses. I do want to read The Songbook of Benny Lament. But um, I also think we should point out more... Um, like people with disabilities, because we have read some books like of mm-hmm. people who are blind or people who are deaf, mm-hmm. and I think that that should fall into this too. Uh, I can't think of any at the time. So one of one of us by Chloe Liasse had the oh like, yeah, he partially was, deaf. He was partially deaf, but we did read the one about the guy who like lived like a hermit and was deaf. What was that one called? Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, he kind of lived like a hermit and he had a big beard and everything and then she shaved cut his hair and shaved him and that's happened in like eight books that we Ellen <laughs> why can't you know this and I know one of our complaints is that she was sign languaging to him and we thought you wouldn't sign language the way she was talking and ah, I can't remember the name of it um his name I think was Abe I think that his name is in the book I think in the title like something Abraham oh, or Abe. Archer's voice. Archer's voice. That was it. There you go, Ellen. You got it. I knew you'd get there. But he was deaf. But I just yeah. think that, that those kind of disabilities should fall into this as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, Ruthie also said Mariana Zapata's from Luke Off with Love and Wait for It, I believe. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. I'm trying to think. Was he Hispanic? And wait for it. I'm trying to think. Probably. It's been a while <laughs> since I read that one. Yeah. I just no, maybe we haven't read that one. I've read it. You've read it. Because remember, he was from Austin, and I was giving you a hard time about, Ellen, go oh, find this neighborhood yeah, where all these hot guys true. live in Austin. <laughs> okay, our next scenario is this scene. You're at brunch with some friends when the subject of your reading habits comes up. Friend, I just don't understand how you can read all those. They're all just straight people falling in love. It's like enter the 21st century people because it's not like there's any LGBTQ plus representation, right? Wrong, Wrong. friend. <laughs> in fact, some of our favorite books have been. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say any of ours. I, I will admit that I'm, I'm somewhat limited in my reading experience with this. So I'm going to leave it to you guys because you all mentioned the books that I would mention. So I would say um, probably an area that I have not read, I don't think anything in, is Girl Girl. Yes. You haven't read, we haven't read a, a lesbian romance, which there are some um, on here. So um, Sarah says boyfriend material and <sighs> so Rosaline Palmer takes the cake by Alexis Hall, which I do want to try because we freaking loved boyfriend material. Um, How to Find a Princess by Alyssa Cole, written in the stars by Alexandria Belfleur. Savannah says Satisfaction Guaranteed by Corellia Stetz Waters, Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, which we liked a great deal. And something to talk about by Meryl Wilsner, um, which is a, a lesbian romance. Um, Melissa says Eden Finley's fake boyfriend series. Jen, Jen says him, us, and epic by Serena Bowen and L. Kennedy. Get the audiobooks. Wink. Hey-oh. <laughs> um, Red, White, and Royal Blue and One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Anything by Alexis Hall, especially boyfriend material. Rosalind Palmer takes the cake and Glitter Land. Ava says Christina Lauren's autobiography, which is hard to say. Um, Catherine says, again, something to talk about uh, by Meryl Wilsner. Once Ghosted, Twice Shy by Alyssa Cole. Um, Rosalind Palmer Takes the Cake by Alexis Hall. And Red, White, and Royal Blue, again, by Casey McQuiston. Karen says, ah, I accidentally answered this with a diversity question because she already mentioned Boyfriend Michelle. What I didn't mention is Sticking to the Script by Stella Weaver, which is Stephen's story, a side character from Penny Reed's Knitting in the City. Not sure this would qualify as a beginner book, though. Uh, Lorenda says, for romantic LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus novellas, I would recommend The Little Village Stories by Nathan Burgoyne. Uh, his Handmade Holidays novella is even on sale right now. So far, each of the stories features a different trope, but this is set uh, that is still being written, so that might change. Jen says, on Audible, they have free audiobooks by Sydney Smith that are gay remakes of famous rom-coms, and they are super cute. When Harry Met Harry, <laughs> Sleepless Over You, and Bride's Mates. Um, those are cute titles. Yeah, cute. And then finally, Lori says, almost all of my favorite contemporary authors have been mentioned already, but if you're looking for LGBTQ plus representation in a historical setting, I'll suggest Cat Sebastian's Seducing the Sedgwick series and K.J. Charles's Think of England. So that's, that's good to know that there's, I know that there's some historicals out there. Um, but thanks, Lori, for mixing it up a little bit for us. Um, so that is it for those two categories, and you can be on the lookout for those visuals that I make, um, coming out today. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about the Need a Good Cry 
category and the need a good laugh category. So sounds perfect. <laughs> so there's that. Um, thanks so much for joining us again. If you'd like to join us on August 9th for twice shy by Sarah Hobel, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever your favorite podcasts are sold for free. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at not your mom's rom or on Facebook or Goodreads or email us at not your mom's romance book club at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave a review because it helps the show and we just love to read them. All right. Thanks mom. You're so welcome, Ellen. Yeah, I know. Bye. Bye. Not Your Mom's Romance Book Club is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.